Well, it's a warm welcome to Duncan Artis, uh, who is a director of Alan Gray. And Duncan, have you guys been exposed at all to Tonga? It's been a, a, a pretty big part of our show this evening. Um, yes, we have, unfortunately, Alec, but uh, a lot less than than we had at one stage. I mean, obviously, Tonga has been listed for a substantial period of time. Remember, it also had Huleman within it. I mean, it must be one of the stocks that's been listed in JC for the for the longest time. Um, but a while back, we we started selling fairly uh, aggressively. Um, but even with that, our, our clients still own around six percent of the the company. So while it's very small, it was very small in the portfolio. You know, it's never nice to to own a stock that effectively has been suspended at, at the moment. And, and what's your take on the survivability of it now that all of this stuff is coming out? Um, well, uh, the, uh, the one thing I've learned, uh, I remember the, the one thing when I learned, you know, if lenders have the upper hand, I remember in Supergroup, although that turned out to be a good story, if you remember Supergroup had two rights mm. issues at the bottom. But when you owe money to lenders and the money can be become due at any time, I mean, the equity holders take a backseat to the lenders. And I guess rightfully so, where you sit in the capital structure. Um, I think the market cap when it was suspended was around $1.8 billion. I think the gross debt's closer to 10 the, the net debt's around eight last time they, they reported. And I think it's very hard to, to fake your debt. So I think that is the, the real number. Um, and whenever your equity is so small relative to your, 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 the, the net debt on the balance sheet, I mean, it becomes difficult. And I, I guess, you know, sometimes you can be at the whim of, of lenders. But I guess we, we're not going to know until the results are, are eventually published. Um, because what we have learned over the years as well is you can have accounting misstatements and whether it was recognizing revenue too early on property sales or valuing the cane incorrectly. Um, those are just non-cash transactions, right? Mm. Um, so when it comes out, it's going to be important to see what the cash was. And that's what we became concerned about over the last year and a bit was um, Tonga's cash flow deteriorated consider- considerably. So if you looked at the accounting earnings, they were fairly different from from the free cash flow, yeah. um, but we'll have to see. And I, I guess the way I think about it is, if you're a contrarian investor, uh, you know you're going to have a few of these in your career. And if you're not willing to to do that, it's very hard to manage public money then, because you'll be too scared ever to make a mistake when when something appears cheap on on the face of it. Hmm. Um, Duncan, somebody who's really enjoying life right now is is anybody who owns a gold share. Uh, again today they had a fantastic run uh, you guys have got uh, well I, I, for a while you were very contrarian you had a lot of gold shares do you have an exposure to them and have you been watching um, we, we don't so I mean we've we've had gold shares rather big stakes in gold companies over the almost 18 years I've, I've been here but only at various points in the, in the cycle um, and sometimes it's worked for us and sometimes it, it hasn't um, at the moment, we, we have a small exposure, so we, we have some gold fields, um, and then we, we also have actually the physical gold. So in our balanced and, and stable funds, um, we actually hold the, the listed ETF as well, and that lets you benefit from the, the rising land gold price, if it is the case. Generally, we found with um, the mining companies and the platinum companies, sorry, gold and platinum companies, it, it's been better from a risk-adjusted point of view to own a little bit of a physical product and the miners because I certainly remember when I started in the market people always said it was better to own the miners because they were geared on the upside but <laughs> that worked for the first five or six years but after that the last decade or so it's been obviously much better to own the metals than it's been, able, than it's been to own the, the miners we, we, we spoke to uh, I mean ironically a former gold miner in Bernard Swanepoel a bit earlier about the bubble in the exotic game market 
Is what we're seeing in gold now, because these shares have really run like scalded cats in the last three weeks, is there a bit of a bubble developing there too? Um, no, geez, Alec, when, when the gold shares get in the bubble, they're going to have a lot more than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to look at the, the charts in, in history. And as you would know, the reason is, you know, gold mines have uh, production. Um, a lot of their costs are reasonably fixed. So anyone with a spreadsheet, if you change your gold price from $1,200 to 2200 all of a sudden the profits go up through the roof, right? Mm. And then at the same stage, people start to value your resources. And what do I mean by that? A gold company has reserves in the ground, obviously that they mine every year, and that is a strict definition. And then they also have other gold in the ground that can become profitable at, at higher gold prices, and people start to put a value on, on that as well. So I think when, when you get into a gold bull market, what I would look for to be like close to the top would be when gold exploration companies, in other words, companies that haven't even started production yet, start to get valued at high valuations in places like Canada and the AM market in in the, in the UK. So I, I, I wouldn't say it's a bubble, but again, looking at history, where have we made mistakes necessarily is if gold shares run really strongly, it's very hard to pick the top, right? Because the liquidity tends to, to disappear on, on the way down. So you have to be a disciplined seller if you're a long-term investor. If you're a trader in, in gold shares, good luck. You know, you can make money, but you can also lose quite a bit because um, they're not the highest quality companies in the world. The one thing I would say that's changed in the larger cap miners is obviously we've seen a lot of consolidation in the, in the mining sector. Mm. Uh, when you talk about large in the South African context, it means NASPERS, and NASPERS is, uh, it makes up about 20% of the, of the adjusted, weight adjusted, uh, index. So lots of South Africa, every South African who's got a retirement policy has got some NASPERS exposure. Uh, yes, I would say it's probably South African people's uh, biggest asset outside their house. That's just a guess of mine. We often say <laughs> yeah. that because, I mean, it would be their pension fund. And by the mm. way, it's South Africa's biggest nest at net asset. Mm. That's a stake in 10 cents. We can't think of any asset that the country owns that's offshore that, that's bigger than, than 10 cents. So, yes, that's very, 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 very important to South Africa. Strangely enough, talking about gold, Alec, I mean, the radio shows always start off in the morning with the price of gold, right? Mm. And that's crazy. We don't make any gold anymore. should start off with the price of NASPAS. <laughs> they should indeed. Um, but, but going back to NASPAS, we've got the results coming out tomorrow. Uh, what's your – because they're so important in the South African context – What's your sense of, of what we should be looking out for? Um, so I think what people look for in the results in, in NASPAS, obviously Tencent reports separately and Tencent reports quarterly on the on the Hong Kong stock market. So people have a fair idea what the Tencent numbers are. So what people are really looking for is for the rest of NASPAS, now that they've unbundled the, the pay television business, uh, multi-choice, which is separately listed, that used to provide the cash flow which then NASPAS would use to, to invest growing their, for want of a better word, their e-commerce social sort of empire across the world. Now that they don't have the pay TV, that cash flow is obviously that sort of rump is going to have to live by itself. So I think what people want to see is their classified, online classified business. And I think in the last result, I stand corrected, it just turned uh, profitable if you excluded the, the U.S. operation. So I think that's what people are going to be razor focused on has the portfolio started producing free cash flow. Mm-hmm. And uh, the multi-choice spin-off, which came out with results earlier this week, yep. have you guys held on to your multi-choice shares from the, the NASPAS? No, we, 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 
yes, we bought bucket loads more. So mm. <laughs> it has been announced on uh, on Fen. So I think our clients are close to the second biggest shareholder in, in multi-choice now. And um, we actually wrote something about it in our latest quarterly commentary. If people want to see it on the website. And I also wrote something about it in our equity fund fact sheet, I think. Um, and what it was was a great opportunity because obviously multi-choice, let's say it was valued somewhere between 100 and 200 rand a NASPAS share, and NASPAS was trading over 3,000. Most of the big American and emerging market investors bought NASPAS for 10 cents. They didn't buy it because of a pay TV. Mm. So when they got the shares unbundled, they just dumped them on the market. They didn't care what price it was because it was such a small bit of the portfolio. So we were buying aggressively at the time uh, between 90 and, and 100 rand, and that so far turned out to be a reasonably good decision given where the share price is today. Um, and I think the reason why people were hesitant was, I mean, the risks are, are fairly well known, but this is still a business that generates um, a lot of cash flow. Um, the big call is whether Africa can get back to break even, um, which is fairly ironic given that most people used to own NASPAS many years ago for pay TV in sub-Saharan Africa. And that's the business that was losing over 3 billion rand um, last year. But that, that's been a fantastic investment, Duncan. If uh, you bought it around 90 to 100, between 90 and 100, sitting yeah. at 130 rand a share now. For those yeah. who, who weren't as smart as you were, um, would, not, would multi-choice be a stock to be accumulating at these levels? Yes. I, I mean, we, 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 we think it's still reasonably valued. Otherwise, we, we wouldn't hold it. Obviously, it's not as obvious as it was at 90. Um, and I think uh, my own personal view is as we go forward, if the share goes up a little bit, there's going to be quite a split view in the market. There are going to be people who say, you know, streaming is going to take the, the top end out. So whether it's Netflix or direct HBO or Disney or sports being streamed. Um, and at the lower end where they're obviously adding world of growth coming from, you know, if you use one DSTV premium subscriber such as myself, you have to find a few, probably three or four lower end subscribers to to, to replace me, to, to make the same revenue. And then Africa is, is quite a big call. And, and I guess that African investors have been quite hurt, obviously, in MTN um, and and multi-choice itself with, with the big, big uh, currency losses that, that have happened given the currency movement. So I can see quite a split opinion. I can see a good bear case, and, and I can also see the reasonably good, good bull case. They were a very good set of results, by the way, that came out yesterday. Hmm. So good set of results, big portfolio holding that you've got in multi-choice. You'll be watching it like a hawk. Just to, to close off with, Duncan, we've spoken a lot about local versus offshore. Uh, how are you, yeah. and this is obviously not, not, not on air, not on the record, but on the record, how are you guys positioned uh, in that sphere? Um, so I, think, I mean, in, our, in, our, in the, the unit trust, which I guess most of our, our clients are listening if they listen to the show, I mean, obviously we're only allowed to, to be 30% offshore. And we've always said, you know, if the RAND was slightly weak or fair value versus let's just call it a basket of global currencies, we'd almost always be close to 30%. And why is that? Because you want diversification, right? The JSE, the top 10 stocks, probably make up 60% of the market. Um, and we don't have whole sectors like healthcare, utilities. I mean, how do you get exposure to technology other than NASPAS? It's very difficult. So we think it makes a lot of sense to, to be diversified. Um, I think what is interesting is South African bonds, obviously, you have got a really high yield in, in real terms at the moment. I think we must be close to number one or number two in the world uh, for investment grade uh, real yields. Um, so if you said to me the RAND strengthened, I, I wouldn't be too surprised. And so we wouldn't bet just owning NASPAS, Richmond, British American Tobacco, Mondi, and go completely offshore. And we also wouldn't go 
completely local. In fact, we, we think there might be an opportunity over the next year in local consumer shares, given how tough the economy is. Um, as we see in all the businesses report recently, I mean, as an example, AVI reported its first ever down earnings mm-hmm. since it was. So it's really, really tough out there in the economy, and, and there's a chance people might put low earnings on a low PE multiple, which is which means share prices could fall quite a bit from, from here if that happens. But no, we, we, we wouldn't have a massively strong view. Duncan Artis is a director with Alan Gray.